Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Here we are, and it is uh, time for the Field of Dreams game. Gino Bacola, your co-host on the Mike Abadir Show, next to the main man, Mike Abadir, like always. Mike, uh, yeah, have you gotten a look at the uh, the way the field is set up? I, I think it looks pretty darn cool. Yeah, I did, and they even brought uh, Kevin Costner back for it, which is really cool. Did you love that movie as much as I did? Because yeah. growing up, I could not watch it enough times i mean i just watched it over and over and james earl jones was fantastic and kevin costner was great and the storyline was awesome when they finally appeared the ghosts of the past i mean i loved the whole thing what about you oh we did a uh, baseball movies i believe this one finished number two um and kevin costner uh, with bull durham i think was the winner in that one yeah it's good it's it's even more than a baseball movie, too. Uh, you know, James Earl Jones in there. It's uh, it's sort of like a spiritual movie. Also, this is really cool. And the way that the uh, the field and the, the corn comes up right to the uh, the, you know, the wall that they've built out there visually. It, you know, there's weird promotional stuff that happens now and then. But this this is cool. Like, this is something that I think is cool. And you know what? This is going to be a good baseball game tonight. You have two teams that could be playoff teams. The Yankees playing much better as of late after they, uh, the trade deadline, although they are dealing with uh, some COVID issues. And, and then you've got a, a, a White Sox team that is sort of quietly probably the most solid all-around team in the American League right now. They, they probably have the least amount of holes of all of the teams in the American League when you really look at them and they're getting healthy. So should be a really fun game as the players walk out of the core now. Uh, and onto the field. Yeah, getting healthy and um, and and swinging the bat right out of the gates, too, upon comeback. So um, even, you know, the guys that were off for a while. And by the way, that's a, a quick note about MLB in general. Have you found that more players than ever before, just eyeballing it, when they come back off of an injured list, are like immediately producing than before? Like, it's almost like they played yesterday. It's almost like seamless, even for the guys that are coming off the 60 day DL. I mean, they've done such a marvelous job getting back guys back on the field. Have you kind of observed that as well? Everybody's ready to rock and roll, except yeah. for uh, except for uh, Bellinger still wishes he, he he's yeah. starting to play a little bit. He's starting to play a little bit better, actually. So I, I don't even want to. Uh, he, he's had a, he's had a decent week or so. He's swinging the bat better. But um, yeah, they uh, they they went all out, and the, I think the setup is really cool. If you're a baseball fan and you haven't uh, and, you, and you're not watching yet, click this on and uh, maybe throw it on in the background tonight when uh, whatever you're doing uh, or uh, or having your uh, your dinner because should be cool uh, cool setup and a cool feel um, for the the Field of Dreams game. Yeah, no doubt about that, man. So we got a fun show today. Are you uh, are you up for talking a little NFC North? Oh, of course. Did did uh, full previews that we got coming out on that's what G said too in a little bit we went team by team so uh, in the NFC so we're ready to rock. I'm down to talk a little NFC North. It's kind of a tricky division this year, you know. There's a there's a little bit of um, you know some new faces, right? I, I think the Lions are kind of the one team to me that I'm like, what what can we expect out of them, you know? Um, 
the Vikings are going to be interesting because of their power running game, and they've got some really good skilled receivers, and we'll find out maybe a little bit more about what makes them so dynamic. Um, and obviously the Packers have kind of been, um, you know, at or near the top for, for a while now. But again, the question that always comes up, Gino, is, you know, have they made Aaron Rodgers happy? Which really means have they put enough skilled position guys around him? And then the Bears, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how uh, things are going to unfold over there. I'm not terribly optimistic, but let's bring in somebody uh, that knows that division very, very well covers the Minnesota Vikings specifically for the athletic Minnesota. We've had him on the show several times before talking about none other than uh, Arif Hassan. Arif, good afternoon. You're on with Mike and Gina. Hey, How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you, man. So uh, you probably heard me kind of going through that uh, very quick division roundup. What are some of, uh, before we talk about the Vikings, what are some of the the kind of the, the division headliners from your estimation as uh, we proceed through training camp um, and looking forward to opening day. For sure. I think, you know, there's like, like you mentioned, there's a lot of interesting questions. Like, you know, how soon is Justin Fields going to play and is he going to be as electric as he was at Ohio state or even as he looks in training camp? I think that's going to define a lot of the bear season because, you know, last year they weren't all that threatening of a team. Of course, the Vikings couldn't really seem to take care of them on a consistent basis, but for the most part, you know, not a threat to win the division, but this year, you know, they've got a good defense. They've got some really good receivers. So if they can show up that offensive line and if Justin Fields can play, like it seems like he can, that to me is a headline for them. Obviously for the Packers, uh, you know, with Aaron Rodgers back, you know, how is he going to play? I, I think that most people kind of expect him to, to kind of play lights out again. I think that's pretty fair, but I, I think that just kind of knowing that, you know, there's just this discord between the organization and Aaron Rodgers, there's always going to be that question uh, and whether or not he's going to continue having enough skilled position players to kind of perform at that really high level. So, uh, a lot of interesting questions for the Packers. Obviously, a bunch of individually talented defensive players, if they can put it together and create, you know, a holistically good defense, you know, that's going to make them really dangerous in the playoffs. And then for the Lions, you know, Jared Goff was not that bad pretty recently. So, you know, if he can kind of turn it around, the Lions might have, like, enough offensive firepower. Not many good receivers, but if you've got a good enough quarterback, you might be able to overcome that great offensive line and a returning running back from injury. So, you know, there, there are some opportunities for them on offense and then defensively, a lot of pieces to pick up. You know, I, I think that this is probably not a year that the Lions are expecting to make the playoffs, but, you know, if that defense can kind of turn things around, if they can kind of uncover all the things that made a lot of those defenders good in, in previous situations, you know, then they might be able to, to kind of play spoiler for somebody. That was very concise. Very good. Uh, so let's let's kind of uh, talk a little bit more in depth about the Vikings. Looks like they're going to have a a number of of new starters this year uh, from from last season. You know, wh- where are some of the changes and uh, which are are kind of the biggies to kind of look out for? Yeah, I think defensively you're going to see a lot of new changes. We're going to see Patrick Peterson at corner. He obviously has a really impressive resume. We'll see what he does well. Uh, if you don't mind me plugging, my colleague Dan Pompey over at The Athletic just published a really excellent piece Please on do. Patrick Peterson and his ability to, to revive uh, his career. So I, I recommend checking that out. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see that, you know, they added Bashad Breland in the offseason as well. It sounds like he might start over Cameron Dancer, so that's a new guy. Mackenzie Alexander is going to be in the nickel, so three new corners. One new safety is Xavier Woods instead of Anthony Harris. They're going to return both linebackers that they lost to injury, Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barber. We don't know who that third guy is going to be. It might be Nick Vigil. Uh, and then along the defensive line, 
tons of new players, right? Michael Pierce is coming back from an opt-out season. Daniel Hunter's coming back from a neck injury. Um, we'll kind of see, you know, they signed Dalvin Tomlinson over to play three technique, and they might kind of rotate in Sheldon Richardson as well. And then the other edge rusher, we don't kind of know who's going to play. They signed Stephen Weatherly. Could be, you know, rookie Patrick Jones. There could be DJ Wanham, who they drafted last year. That's going to be an interesting battle to find out. And that's just the defense. I named basically every player on the defense. There's a bunch of new starters and then offense. They've got a few uh, new offensive linemen. We're not going to see Christian Derisaw play probably early on, but Rashad Hill, who's been on the team for a while, is going to play left tackle. Uh, at left guard, we're going to see Ezra Cleveland. He switched over from right guard and then a right guard. Um, it. it we, we might see uh, Oli Udo, who is a backup tackle. He's been playing pretty well in camp. That seems like the most likely scenario. Could be Dakota Dozier. Uh, and then the mainstays at center and right tackle are going to be there. Same quarterback, same two receivers, Adam Thiel and Justin Jefferson. Um, but we might see a new third receiver, maybe K.J. Osborne. And then Kyle Rudolph left. So you get Irv Smith at tight end as well, as long, uh, along with uh, Tyler Conklin. And then, of course, Dalvin Cook's probably going to be the engine of the offense, and he's coming back, of course. So <clears throat> offensively, you you know, you went through um, a lot of the the pieces there. I'd say that if you're talking about receivers, a, a one, two, and if you're talking about Dalvin Cook, and even with the with Madison, I mean, he may be as good of a backup as a, as as any backup in the league. So the strength and the skill positions there. Um, what is it going to be like now without Rudolph around? And I believe uh, Irv Smith probably going to be getting the the bulk of the action there. Um, what to expect from him? Is he going to be you know more of a a traditional kind of tight end, not getting involved that much in the offense when you have a one two receiver like that? Like what what do we expect there from a position now where he'll probably get a lot more opportunity to shine? Yeah, I, I don't know that his uh, role is going to change. I think he's just going to do kind of more of it. So uh, in the coward off role, I imagine it's going to be Tyler Conklin, but I don't think that he's going to soak up all of Kyle Rudolph's targets or anything like that. I think Irv Smith is going to see more balls headed his way. Um, but, yeah, in terms of, like, your post-up receiver that's going to win in the red zone, that's going to be on the field to, to block down from in line, um, you know, a guy that's going to get you some third downs, I think Tyler Conklin's going to be that person. But Irv Smith is, you know, kind of a playmaker waiting to happen. Alabama used him on end-around runs, even though they had all the speed in the world on their offensive skill unit. And so I think we're going to see Irv Smith kind of move around a lot. You'll play a tiny bit of fullback, a tiny bit of H-back, a tiny bit of sniffer, just kind of every like gadget role you can imagine for a tight end. And then he'll probably play a lot of stuff that's similar to what we saw with Jordan Reed in Washington a while back, who also has experience with Kirk Cousins. So um, I, I think that Smith is going to see more opportunities, but I don't know that he's going to be doing anything different. He's just going to be doing a lot more of it. Arif, there was a little bit of a... COVID talk, which I think people are kind of uh, probably uh, burnt out about uh, discussing over and over again. But there was a conversation about, you know, the uh, Kirk Cousins and, you know, his you know personal choice about the vaccine, et cetera. And I wanted to kind of bring that into the quarterback position as a whole um, mindset, because it looks like they've got a lot of really young, inexperienced guys as backups vaccine or not people are probably going to miss some there's a chance that anybody can miss games this year um you know what what do you see from some of the youngsters i'm particularly interested in uh mond and um and and kind of getting your thoughts about him obviously browning's been around a while uh former uw quarterback and uh nate stanley uh was a draft pick i believe the year before uh out of iowa Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they just recently added Danny Etling 
um, who has like some previous time with the Patriots and the Falcons. He was at he was on LSU's team as a quarterback there. Um, and uh, you're right. I mean, there's not many NFL snaps. Like Browning has been around in the NFL, but he hasn't really. I think actually it might be a total of zero NFL snaps among the backups. So there's uh, ample reason to worry if Kirk Cousins goes down. Now, luckily, of course, you know, COVID aside, you know, he hasn't really missed a snap unless they wanted to rest him for like a week 17 or, or something yeah, along those lines. So he's never really missed a snap due to injury. So, um, you know, he's an Iron Man. So if, if you don't, if he doesn't get injured, which there's a pretty good possibility, you don't have to worry about it. But after that, I think it's going to be Jake Browning. Um, because he knows the offense a little bit better. Zimmer's been pretty critical of Kellen Mond in camp. He has to kind of get adjusted to the speed of the game. So I think for this first year, Kellen Mond is actually probably going to be quarterback three. Uh, and I think that Zimmer's criticisms have borne out in camp. He has been struggling a little bit. He's not getting the ball out on time. It's not very accurate. Um, and so he's just going to need another year to get acclimated to the system. But Browning has actually been really impressive as a backup. Uh, and and if, if it ever comes to that, we're probably going to see Browning on the field. You know, he's not great at pushing the deep ball, but he does a pretty good job of keeping kind of the offense on schedule and, and making sure um, that he can kind of distribute the ball to a number of playmakers. Yeah, I was a little uh, intrigued by Kellen Mond because, you know, I like the fact that he was a four-year starter, um, you know, SEC guy threw for a ton of yards, rushed for a bunch of yards. The reality is he's only 22 years old. So I agree with you. I think it would be difficult for him to even consider being the, for the Vikings to consider him being the number two, especially too, because I believe if I'm correct, that he missed 10 days of training camp um, due to COVID. He did. So yeah. He, he, he missed probably the 10 days very, because he was the one that tested positive. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, he's, so he's really, really green, but uh, I was just kind of interested in him as a player. Um, so that's interesting stuff, though. It looks like they're going to – I don't want to call it a gamble, but if that's the case, they could probably even carry two quarterbacks if uh, in, a, in a practice squad if, if they wanted to, right? I mean, it's it's pretty much cousins or nothing, right? Yeah, it, it pretty much is, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if they did exactly that, carry two quarterbacks on the practice squad. I mean, they even had another quarterback in camp in case Cookus because they lost out on, on almost the entire quarterback room because of that, that COVID positivity. Um, and, you know, all these players were put in the protocol except for Jake Browning. So they had to bring in some other guys. So they've got Case Cookus, who has like a, a cup of coffee with the Vikings and is um, passingly familiar with the playbook. They've got Danny Etling and then Nate Stanley, like you mentioned, has experience in the system. Um, is is comfortable kind of being, um, you know, kind of a big arm guy. He's not really as aggressive as you'd expect a big arm to be, but can fit the ball in tight windows. So they're probably going to keep some quarterbacks around, especially if they can kind of insulate one of them from the quarterback room, just in case like another situation like that pops up and they don't have to worry about, you know, contact tracing or whatever, just have a quarterback available. I want to talk about Hunter for a quick moment. Just kind of what he's done in the league so far and looking forward, you know, where, where do you kind of place him in the whole scheme of things? I mean, this guy's got all the ability in the world and when he's put it together, he's been really, really good. But how do you kind of see the trajectory from here? I guess is, is kind of the question for him. Uh, what, what can we expect out of him? Not just this year, but, but beyond in terms of his, uh, overall production as he peaked is he uh, still uh, the guy can he still get better etc yeah i i think that he still has a lot more room to to kind of become a premier defensive player in the nfl obviously you know the last time he played you know he was already putting his name into that kind of into that hat 
Um, but I think he's only like 26. He's a very young guy, given the amount of experience he has in the NFL. And so his physical peak is, is still yet to come. Players tend to peak around 28, 29, especially at that position. And so it's entirely possible that he's got his best years ahead of him. And I can tell you right now in camp, I mean, he hasn't practiced the past two days or just kind of keeping him safe. He's a premier player. Uh, and these joint practices tend to get a little bit intensive. So he hasn't practiced against the Broncos right now. But um, before that, you know, he was in padded practices and he's, he looked better than I ever remember. And I've seen him a lot in camp. I've seen a lot of great edge rushers in camp, Everson Griffin, Jared Allen, what have you. And he's looked better than any edge rusher I've seen in a Vikings camp environment. I mean, he, it looks like he's poised to have a really tremendous season. He's athletically completely all there. It looks like he's comfortable. He's added some new pass rush moves to his arsenal. I think kind of everything you expect out of a, out of a premier edge rusher, he's showcasing that in camp right now. He's maybe the player I'm most excited about watching this season. What do you get the uh, the the vibe like? Just the feel of the team is um, heading in. I know everybody generally in a in a training camp is excited going in. You know, with the, the opportunities. But realistically, does this team feel like where where do they stack up? Like you said, a lot of new pieces on the defensive side, but offensively, this they're one of the teams that I, I think in doing my previews, I probably had the hardest time getting a real feel for because the schedule. There's so many games where I can look at and just go, I could see. Absolutely either happening in this game Anything happening like their skill players Dalvin Cook could win you any game When he's incredible or if either one Of the receivers has just a game where they're just um, Tough to defend but then Defensively with so many questions I'm, I'm kind of curious like what what's the feel For maybe where they stack up heading into the year Yeah I agree with you it's kind of tough to figure them out Like last year was probably tougher because of how many unfamiliar new faces there are this year there's a lot of names that are new but we've become familiar with with either their time with the giants the cardinals or what have you uh and so it's a little bit easier to kind of get a feel for this team but it's still kind of out there it would not shock me if they were a six win team or if they were a 13 win team i think you know kind of anywhere in between that totally on a 17 agree. game schedule is well within their reach so, uh, you know, that, that, it's a tough team to figure out. I think for the most part, we'll continue to expect the offense to perform at a really high level. I think um, by some measures, I think by, by yards or something, they were fourth. I think by points, they were like, you know, eighth or something along those lines. It's a really good offense, and I think it's going to get maybe a little bit better this year. We'll see. Uh, and then kind of beyond that, I think the defense is going to improve really dramatically. They were something like 27th or 29th in points allowed. Uh, and, uh, and I don't really see them being kind of a bottom of the, the league defense. You know, I, I don't expect them to be, you know, number one, number two, number three, or anything like that because, you know, Patrick Peterson, Bashad Breland, you know, they're not kind of the players that in, in today's NFL are going to be able to kind of bring them to, to number one, especially not at Peterson's age. But I think they're, they're significantly improved. They're going to be really devastatingly strong in the run game after it was a weakness for them last year. And so if they, if they become a slightly above average defense and a really high-level offense, you know, that, that sounds like a playoff team to me. But then you take a look at the teams on their schedule and you try to figure that out. Like, oh, I could see them winning this one, losing it. It's really easy to talk yourself yeah. into any scenario with this team. And that's what <laughs> it makes is. it so difficult. Yeah, I got to ask you, because there's a player on the Vikings who maybe has one of the more interesting names in the entire NFL. And I went to look and I'm like, is that his real name or is that his nickname? I went and looked it up. It was his nickname. And I'm like, OK, well, what's his uh, you know, birth name? And this birth name is maybe equally as interesting. Maybe you know exactly who I'm talking about. Maybe I'm mispronouncing this, but Wap Fillier? Wap Fillier? Yeah, Wap Fillier. Yeah, okay. and, and, um, and I actually for, for I, I already forgot his real name. I looked it up just like two, three days okay. ago. What, what did you get? There you go. Mister is his first name. Mister. That's right. M I S T E R. Uh, Elias D'Angelo Fillior. 
Yeah, and I knew there was a D'Angelo in there somewhere. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. He he really liked Whoppers. It's like a like a uh, Burger King Whopper. He really liked Whoppers. Is that really the I hope he gets a sponsorship with them. That's the actual story. They call him Whop wow. because he really liked Whoppers. So <laughs> it's, it's. I think it's great. I hope he gets a Burger King sponsorship. That would be a great. I think a match made in heaven. But uh, <laughs> that's yeah. Uh, he's yeah. First name Mister. Nickname Wop. D'Angelo's in there somewhere. That's like kind of the the most normal name in there, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's a uh, man. I I wish I uh, represent. I wish I was his agent because uh, I think uh, I think you're onto something there. Um, he he did not have a whopping number of receptions or yards last season, but I didn't follow Indiana that closely, especially with COVID and everything going on. But I do know he had a really good junior year. What's what's he? Uh, What's he like in camp so far? Uh, is he a guy that has a chance to, uh, you know, be on this roster or practice squatted? And has there been any talk of him, or has it been pretty quiet outside of his name? Yeah, it's been a little bit quiet. And you're right; he was a really productive college receiver. It's just kind of there's so many Big Ten receivers in the same class as him. It's kind of easy to get lost in the shuffle. But a lot of expectations for him, of course. You know, like you said, he was a little bit less productive. So he he was an undrafted free agent. I think he was probably one of the more exciting ones uh, just because of his history of production and, of course, the name. Um, but it has been a little bit quiet for him in camp. There are some days where it looks like he's catching everything. He's doing a really great job getting open. And there are other days where it feels like he can't break free from coverage and he's dropping some passes. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say that he, that he looks like um, – a lot of the undrafted free agent receivers that, that camps tend to cycle through. Like I've, I've seen a number of players with, with better resumes come in and struggle more than he has. He seems like practice squad material to me from what I've seen so far, um, but he hasn't really made waves, especially given kind of Amir Smith-Marset and K.J. Osborne have been really good. Chad Beebe has been really good. And so when kind of those middle-of-the-depth chart receivers have been playing as well as they have, which hasn't really been true for the Vikings in a while, it's tougher to get a good look at players like him or like Marvin Mitchell or some of the other guys um, that he's competing with. Wow, good stuff, man. We could talk about this for a lot longer, but we're up against it, and I know you're super busy. Uh, by the way, for those who are interested, WAP, was, uh, he played at HB Plant in uh, Tampa, which uh, has produced a ton of pro athletes, including Pete Alonzo with the Mets and Hall of Famer Wade Boggs and uh, James Wilder Jr. running back and Aaron Murray quarterback. I could go on and on and on. Very interesting school as as well as produced a bunch of actors and actresses. So he might be worth uh, taking a little look at him. And we uh, we saw in the last couple of years that in uh, fantasy football, it was some of those guys that went up the uh, the depth chart that kind of uh, filled in pretty admirably during certain you know COVID struck weeks, etc. But Arif, please give our listeners how they could follow you on social media and whatever you want to plug, my friend, here's your opportunity. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the only social media I really use is Twitter. So that's at Arif Hassan NFL. That's A-R-I-F-H-S-I-N NFL. Uh, and you can follow my writing over at The Athletic, theathletic.com slash author slash Arif Hassan. I get a little bit of credit if you, if you sign up through one of my articles. So please uh, be sure to, to head over there. We've got a podcast. I'm actually about to, as soon as I'm done with this, I'm about to record that podcast. It's the Norse Code podcast. You can find it, you know, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you find podcasts. Norse Code. Awesome. The, the, the Athletic is fantastic. Thanks, Arif. is fantastic. Uh, I've been with The Athletic for four years now, and I have enjoyed so many articles. You do a great job. 
Thank you for always, uh, you know, being available whenever we call on you. And uh, we hope the Vikings do well this year so we can check in with you a little bit later on down the road. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That is Arif Hassan with The Athletic Minnesota. We're very late for a commercial timeout, so we will come back and continue to deliver right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show. Uh, thanks again to Arif for helping us out. Talking about the Minnesota Vikings, you and I were just talking during the break. Their over/under in the win total for the season is eight and a half right now. And sounds a little high to me. Yeah, you know the 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 thing about it is their division is is very interesting. That we said if they it, would it be surprising to you if they beat Detroit both times? No. Or even Chicago, both times, or split with them, no. And then who knows with Green Bay? Like right now, I, I would take Green Bay over them probably in, in both situations. But that I think that's why it's probably a lot higher than I have them projected, just because the rest of the division isn't I, – I think everybody sort of feels like Green Bay is going to come back to life a little bit this year. And I don't mean like miss the playoffs or be like a, an under 500 team, but they've just been really efficient – 
and pretty dominant the last two years of in the regular season. Like one of the like really good regular season teams. So they probably have a couple slip ups here and there this year. Um, but I, yeah, that it's it's probably the division question marks. But I I still got them under mainly because of those defensive question marks. Cousins, I don't necessarily like if they're in close games and and they need to go get a, a drive like a drive to win the game or a drive to to tie the game. Um, I don't. You know, I, I trust him maybe here and there situationally, but I don't know if every time. And so that, yeah, that's a concern that I have. Like, I just, I don't, I don't, they were one of the more, um, like you said, kind of polar, like polarizing teams in that you, you know, you probably have people predicting them to make the playoffs because there's not a whole lot of competition in the division. But if you go through their schedule game by game, we were just doing so. There's a stretch when they come out of their bye, there were, where they could legitimately lose five or six games in a row. Um, well, you know so. what makes it hard also is because I mean, if we agree, and this might not even be clear cut, but I think we probably both agree that Green Bay is the number one. If we agree on that, mm-hmm. who's the number two team in the division? I bet mm-hmm. you, you ask three people, you might get three different answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's really no team that kind of probably jumps not up. Detroit. I think we can all. Pro- we probably assume Detroit is in a rebuilding phase. Pro- probably you, so, but I mean, they, they have a Super Bowl quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. The the, the rest of their roster, though, it just seems it's really, yeah. really undermanned. Like, their wide receivers, they have like a bunch of twos and threes. There's no real like wide receiver. Um, their running backs, like Swift is fine. Um, it's it's going to be, I think, probably like a feed Hawkinson year he might be a very good fantasy player to get because he could be just sort of like a safety valve for uh for golf a lot of the time to go to and then defensively they're just sort of young and unproven new coach so they're the type of team that i i think could start to to play well towards the end of the year but they could be so they're number four so we're really talking about mediocre and less mediocre between between the the Bears bears and the vikings right yeah yeah and the bears you know, the conversation that will be had with them most of the year is when when Fields coming in. When when to unveil the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. The the thing we were uh, briefly mentioning at the break or that I was starting to say was that there's two things that go in the Vikings favor, if you want to put it that way. The first one is I believe that anytime doesn't matter if it's a passing era or not. But when you can control the clock on the ground, mm-hmm. that can keep you in a lot of ball games. Um, that can wear out your opponent's defense, etc. The second thing that goes into their favor also relates to the running game, but it's kind of a different angle at this, which is, do you remember what the Vikings did to the Saints in the playoffs in NOLA two seasons ago when um, the Saints were probably on paper the best team in the NFL and the Vikings whipped up on them. I mean, it wasn't Destroyed them in round. They annihilated them. And one of the reasons for that was just matchup-wise, you know, the Saints probably could have beat, you know, four or five of the other playoff teams. That was the one team that matchup-wise – was not favorable for them. And I think the Vikings kind of have that formula where they could beat anybody as long as it's the right somebody on that day. Do you know what I mean when I say that? So they could be like the one loss for a 15-1 team, and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be shocked. 
100%. Right? It's not like, about like them the would Jets. Surprise me. Yeah, it's not like the Jets or somebody coming with an upset win. It's like, how do they do that? The Vikings, I, I could see it, especially because, like we've been talking about all shows so far, their skill position players are really good. Cousins is, is more than a competent quarterback. I mean, he's paid like an upper echelon quarterback. His stats at the end of the year look upper echelon, typically speaking. Um, I, I still, I don't see him as a playoff winner. No, I'm the same. Putting it delicately, or yeah, for the same feel with me is you know he's he like if if it's close, that's that's something that worries me. When the game's in his hand, right? I think I don't think they're a team that's going to get blown out of a lot of games. I think they're probably going to be in a lot of games, but yeah. they might be a team that you know loses by one possession here or there. Last late in the game, a turnover goes there goes against them. Um, so, I yeah I you know you look around the league, it's funny, and in the NFC in particular, like I think a lot of teams. Are, are going to look a little different this year. Um, like the Saints, for example, kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about a team that you know pretty well. Sure. I just, you know, I don't like any, a lot of the things I'm hearing, you know, obviously with the Michael Thomas stuff, and and then you look at the way that the the their skill position players are now. So Pro Football Focus ranks the pass catchers for each team, and it includes the wide receivers and the tight ends. In there, and it had um, it had the Saints ranked 28th, including Michael Thomas in there, because once you get past him, it's Traquan Smith, and then a lot of unproven players. Even compared to last year, they had Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook as their receiver and tight end, you know, two and you know receiver two tight end, and with Drew Brees. So you know you have a disgruntled number one wide receiver who's hurt. He. He's not going to be playing for at least a few, the first few weeks. Your number two receiver, who's probably more like a, a number three or sort of, you know, maybe not even really a two. He's banged up a little bit now. Um, unproven tight end quarterback situation that might get a little tricky because you've got Jameis starting, but you know that that if anything goes wrong, they love Hill there and they could very easily put him in. But you don't have Breeze to go to. I don't. I don't know if this is going to be like a, a great start to the year for them. It, it could be difficult for the Saints team with no Drew Brees. Okay, so let me give you uh, an objective pros and cons, okay? So let's start with the uh, pros because um, you, you pretty effectively laid out kind of some of the holes and some of the issues. And I've got a couple of more to add to yours. But before I get to that, they kind of have the opposite situation quarterback-wise than the Vikings where you have Cousins – and then four guys who have never taken a snap. Here, you got Jameis, you got Taysom Hill, you got Trevor Simeon. I mean, all these guys have started games um, at, to varying degrees. Obviously, Hill is the least experienced as a starter. But that means something when you've got that deep of a bench quarterback-wise. And Ian Book is, is no slosh, but not, a, not a, a, you know, a starter in a league. Let's go to the running back position. Alvin Kamara, you know, if he plays like Alvin Kamara, one of the best in the league. But the depth there, too. Latavius Murray, Devonta Freeman, Dwayne Washington, pretty solid. Back, you backfield is as good core. as any. Yeah, you covered the receiving core pretty well. The only thing I'll say is, can we maybe see some upside with Traquan Smith or Marquez Callaway? We know what we're getting with Chris Hogan. 
right? Uh, or Deontay Harris. But what are we going to get out of Traquan Smith and Marcus Galloway? I will say this. Adam Troutman showed enough that they could move on from Jared Cook or not re-sign Jared Cook and not feel bad about it. This was somebody that they were very high on. We'll see, right? Sometimes you make that decision and you regret it. Uh, and, but and that, he's got a lot of upside. A, and I agree with that. And I even agree with the upside for possibly the receivers there, maybe mm-hmm. Callaway more than Traquan. What concerns me is they would be better suited in a situation with a possibly more veteran proven quarterback in the system. Like if it was breeze trying to get that out of them because he knows the system so well, he'd been there so long. It concerns me that you've got new tight end, new pieces at the receiving spot all together at the same time with a new, really a new starting quarterback. It's whether with this system, whether it's going to be Jameis or Hill and you're right, they're proven. And I actually, I'm not against Jameis at all. Like, I think if you put Jameis in like where Matt Stafford is, Right now for the Rams, they'd actually be really good. I'm just a little worried. Like compare those skill position players to the team that we just talked about, the Vikings. Yeah, it's I, it's not it, the Vikings are clearly superior in in that regard. And if you notice, I didn't even mention uh, Michael Thomas because yeah, he was Michael Thomas until uh, 2019. Um, I don't know who this guy is uh, last year or, or this year. My my fantasy team, unfortunately, knew him a little bit too well last year. Um, and that was very frustrating. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I'll be interested to see, you know, if these guys develop and want, what Sean Payton is able to do to get the most out of them. Because he is a mastermind when it comes to those type of things where because he knows people's limitations, he's able to use them in a, in a manner uh, and he's able to set up the offense in a manner where it could really, really uh, flourish. Remember, though, and this might be for some of the, the regular betters that are out there. Uh, perhaps uh, you could kind of store this in your memory bank, Gino. You probably even remember it. How many years in a row now has it been that the uh, Saints have kind of started off really slow? And that's that's what worries me with without. So if they start off a little slow. And Michael Thomas is frustrated. I mean, does he even come back and play for them, or do they trade him? And then, and then it it maybe it's better for their franchise down the line getting getting something back. Um, but who you know who knows if that's what if, if things then things don't go well, then now you're worried. Like, do you lose Jameis? And because you're going to Taysom Hill now, is he mentally already not? is going to be as into it because you took him out and you put him back in. I, I don't know because I think they're the type of team that if they start three and oh, I'm not going to be worried about them really at all. Cause then I think, okay, cool. It's like, it's the system. Obviously this is an organization that knows how to win, but I'm a little concerned because they've been coming into the last five or six years. They felt like every year looking at what they had, their roster was about as close to complete as any in the league. And they they still didn't win. And so I'm a little worried because this year it feels like when you look over across the way, Tampa's got that roster. Um so yeah, that's that's the one thing like they just yeah, I'm I'm with you. You know? Uh, yeah, no, look, you make very valid points. I guess just to uh, uh finish up on the pros and cons really quickly, and then we need to take another commercial timeout. Their O line is intact. It's very um excellent. It's it's, it's a very good offensive line. 
Uh, I don't know what uh, PFF grades them at, but I have to suspect it's very high. So that's a big pro. And when you look defensively, I mean, just names alone, Cam Jordan, of course, Marcus Davenport, Demario Davis, Quan Alexander, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, Marshawn Lattimore. You know, you have a lot of guys who are experienced that know what they're doing, that play at a high level. So when you kind of break it down, it's like the receiving core is the weakest link right now, but yet you may have the best receiver in the league. So there's some optimism there. Um, you know how big I am on uh, on the Saints' special teams. Which is great. Unit lets us out now. Um, I don't know if they announced the cause of injury or not, but it's, it's a hernia. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they uh, ever announced it, or if they have, maybe somebody got it out of them, but that's what it is. I'm not sure why it was supposed to be secretive. Um, and and you lose out on you know, on the punter that solidified things since the last Super Bowl win for, for the Saints. Um, so you got a new punter, a new kicker. They signed Brett Maher the other day. Um, you know, Marcus Galloway was a pretty good punt returner. But overall, their special teams unit, which has been very, very consistent for a long time, and obviously the long snapper's been there for a while, Zach Wood, everybody knows that listens to the show, um, you know, that the special teams unit is kind of in flux, right? Uh, Thomas Morstead and Will Lutz, two guys have been there for a long time, very consistent, uh, high-level type uh, performers. Uh, let's take a quick commercial timeout, Gino, and we'll come back, talk a little baseball, and um, wrap things up with the NFC North Division. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment here on the Mike Abadir Show. And uh, it's a one nothing game as there was a home run that went into the cornfield just a moment ago for the, the White Sox to kick things off. And... You know, uh, we can transition a little bit into baseball because um, it's, you know, getting to be a little bit nervous time for both of our teams. 
um, that we root for the last like week, week and a half. Um, the Dodgers haven't necessarily been playing poorly, but the problem that they keep running into is they cannot seem to make up any ground on the Giants. When what? is the last so, time that they uh, that July the Dodgers won and the Giants lost on the July same day? July twenty fourth. July the twenty fourth wow. was uh, the day, the last time. I so, don't think I've ever seen anything like that. No, and what's what's kind of crazy is like, it's, and it's not even like the Giants are on this like ten game winning streak and the Dodgers are on a losing streak. It's just they win on the same day every time, and then they'll lose on the same day every time, and they can't gain any ground. Um, the Giants the other night. In, in a game that the Diamondbacks were down by like three. They came back, they took the lead. They came back to, to tie the game in the, the top of the ninth inning. They should have taken the lead. They, did, they didn't. So you can get the feeling already that like the Giants kind of feel like they got a shot here. So they hit a top of the ninth, it's, or it's bottom of the ninth, and the game's tied. Ground ball to shortstop, throwing error. So the runner's on first. Um, Next batter, uh, like, grounds out, but it's a fielder's choice, so the runner moves over to second. Okay, so there's one out and a runner on second now. So Buster Posey's up. 0-2 count to Buster Posey. Four straight balls. So now Buster Posey is on first. Then then there's a pop-out. Then there's, a like, a ball that gets away from the catcher. So now there's runners on second and third with two out, and Chris Bryant's up. So... You just you walk him, you know, right? You put the force on so that way it's no, they don't walk him. They pitch to him and they actually have a shift on. And so he hits a routine ground ball to second base that like the first baseman's got to try to cover and they can't throw him out at first and they win. It's like four things needed to happen for the Giants to win that game. It, it, like that are like any one of those things don't happen and they're in extra innings and it keeps going. But it's like it's weird when you have a year like that. Um, and sometimes you win it all and sometimes it's Nothing, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's just a great regular season, but they're they've had a lot of games like that. There was another game there tonight where same exact thing, like an outfielder just dropped a ball in the bottom of the eighth with two outs that let the Giants win a game. Well, you know, it's funny, Gino. It seems like if you look at any almost any sport, but especially football and baseball teams that are out playing expectations seem to always have. Several, not just one, but several ball games where they got all the lucky bounces go their mm-hmm. way, and that doesn't mean they're bad. And like, no, people no, will no, misinterpret that a little too much, right? And think that like I'm ripping on the Giants or anything. No, it's impressive. You, you kind of like luck is like when uh, I think what opportunity or preparation meets like opportunity. Meets opportunity. Yeah, you yep. know, like yep. you put yourself in the right spot to get. Sure, lucky. I mean everything that you were talking about. There, those are some good at bats there by Posey and exactly. They, they make the pitcher have to make the pitch, right? And you put the ball in play, right? You put that's what ha- you put the ball in play. You, especially you put the ball on the ground. You make someone catch it, throw it, and catch it. That was all, that's what we learn in little league, right? That's what's bet. That's what's great about hitting a ground ball in little league versus a pop fly. And now everybody wants to hit a pop fly because of the launch angle. But the same thing, you make them catch it, throw it, and catch it. Odds are that one out of ten times somebody's going to do one of those things wrong, you know. Um, so it is one of the crazier things I I can imagine. And you know, at the same time, we talked a little bit about the Dodgers, who are now four and a half games behind the Giants, and. The Dodgers are three and a half games up in the wild card. The Dodgers have uh, lost 46 games this year, which is 
you know, tied for the second best record in the National League, only behind the Giants. The Brewers also have lost 46 games. The uh, the Astros have lost 46, and the Rays have lost 45. I mean, they're literally right there for the best record in baseball, but the Giants are just overachieving so much that um, it's getting to the point now where there's not all that much time. Mookie Betts has a, he another issue with his hip. He, he might not be able to play again this year. I mean, legitimately, they have to get ready for uh, the oppor- the chance that he may not be able to. Kershaw had a little bit of a setback with his uh, rehab, so we definitely won't be seeing him till uh, a couple more weeks and probably just maybe two two or three starts before the playoffs for him. And um, I, I still, with all that being said, I have really very little doubt about um, how well the Dodgers will play in the playoffs in any series. Like I feel good about them matching up with any team in any series. I just don't feel good about one game. The one game scares the hell out of me. Like you, who do you, you start Miller or Scherzer? If, if you you get were to go two, up against um the, Brandon the Padres. Would you be would you be shocked, for example? Well, I guess it would be the that's Padres. not gonna happen unless you know it's the, the Reds Padres really or the Reds right now. And that really yeah. looks like it's it. At the yeah, moment. yeah, that's true. I was going to say, you know, Woodruff and company are, are phenomenal, but we'll save that for the uh, for the longer what series. What about the Padres? How would they feel in one game after you crushed them in the playoffs last year? They're your little brother. They've beat you up a lot this year. They get so up to play you. And I still think that in a, in a series, the Dodgers would beat the Padres fine. But in a one-game situation... You know, in you a one-game situation, actually, I wouldn't be too concerned about the Padres, to be honest with you. I think... Here's why I say that the the Padres, when you're talking about beating up, you know they had some pretty spectacular offensive displays. Um, to me, their pitching hasn't been that. What's the word? Consistent. Mm-hmm. And and you know I what I mean. Think- I think like actually, uh, probably Musgrove is probably uh, the the most um, you know consistent pitcher I've found for this year. Hughes had some rough ones. Blake Snell's definitely had a lot of uh, rough ones. Chris Paddock isn't what we thought you know, he was going to be uh, going into the season. Uh, Ryan Weathers has now had to get some innings as a five-starter. Uh, yeah, I think it's more I don't just love the, their pitching staff any longer. I think I the Dodgers, like if, if you put like Walker out there for game one as an example, um, I think he outduels you. I think he outduels Snell. Joe Musgrove, he's having one of those years, but I still would give advantage Dodgers. Do you see what I'm saying? That's kind of oh, why I, I completely, wouldn't I completely agree. Like, I don't – and that's what I mean about – it's just the more games than the more sample size, I feel really confident that the Dodgers will beat any could beat anyone in a best of seven. But I don't – anything in one game could get really scary. And that's what is like – I don't want – I'm I'm starting to get more and more nervous just about that happening because that's what what's scary about this team this year is they're so good, but there's still been something, and I'm sure all Dodger fans would say that, and it's probably because they've had a combination of so many injuries and people in and out of the lineup and never really like consistency with with a lot of their better players, but there's been something a little missing with this team, and it's that one in twelve in extra innings. Yeah. It's their terrible yeah. record in close games and that's what's going to start like when they get, when we get to that point for this team when if it's a one game situation 
the fans are going to start feeling anxious. And the team, whether or not they want to say so, because they've won and they've got a lot of players that have been and won games in the last few years, and they're the reigning champs. This team this year has been just tight in those situations, and that's what makes me a little bit nervous. Sure, and when you're talking about uh, going up against the Padres, the other thing, too, is this. The Dodgers have had some guys who have been balling out big time. We've talked about it many times, you know, Muncie and Taylor, the, the guys that I've continuously, constantly mentioned that they've been really, really good and have carried the Dodgers in spurts. Uh, the big difference between the Padres and the Dodgers is this. The Dodgers have some really good players that aren't having very good years. Mm-hmm. The Padres, if you look at it, they really don't have a hole in their lineup. They they're might not have an upside of a Bellinger, of course, right? But when you look at it, Jake Cronenworth has been really good. Adam Frazier, Manny Machado, Tatis, Pham, Grisham. Like, they don't have a weak – and then Will Myers, of course. They really don't have a weak link in their starting lineup. You know, it's pretty darn good. With that said, it's not a very playoff-tested lineup. I don't know how many combined playoff and games. Fam probably with St. Louis and Machado back in the Baltimore days, and then last year's quick sample size. But they're pretty inexperienced playoff-wise. So that's going to come into play as well if you're talking so about the Dodgers. With just about two minutes left, I wanted to get a couple thoughts on the Red Sox because you, you seemed pretty... I think frustrated when when we saw everyone else on the trade deadline around the Red Sox making moves, in particular the Rays, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays in their division, and it it will immediately was followed by the Red Sox going two and eight, and all three of those teams going eight and two, and completely flipping <laughs> yeah. the division, which was nuts. Like it never happens like that that quickly all at the same time. So right now, after today's loss, even though the Red Sox scored twenty last night. They are tied in the loss column with the Yankees and the Blue Jays right now. They are a couple games ahead of them because they've won more, but they're all three with 51 losses, which is just nuts to see how quickly that flipped. It's, uh, it's really unbelievable. And I was going to say, the Dodgers and the Red Sox being four and a half, five out are very surprising, but for very different reasons, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the Dodgers, yeah. you would expect to have the best record in the National League, which they're right up there. But you wouldn't have expected that they'd be four and a half back in the middle of, of the uh, Giants. this month. No. Right? The, and the, the other surprising thing is at the All-Star break, if you'd have told me the Red Sox are going to be five back by August 12th, I would have been like, no way, dude. You know, they've been consistent. They've been playing well all mm-hmm. year. But I like kind of like you picked up on. Remember how many questions I peppered? Uh, uh, our guest right at the trade deadline mm-hmm. there where I was like, if they do nothing, if they do nothing, if they do nothing, if they do nothing, and they did nothing I wonder for the if most the part. Players got a little felt felt that something about that, right? That they didn't go all in and maybe looked around. I don't know. You wonder, but they do have well, sale coming Chris back. Sale and- really has to be the guy that lifts everybody up. He it's got to be that guy. Evaldi, it was good to see him have a nice uh, uh, outing last night. They gave up some runs late, but that wasn't on him. But yeah, Chris Seale, you know, he's going to have to carry that team. Uh, I think the division is going to be tough, but uh, they should, they're should they going to be worried about a playoff spot if they don't get their act together very and quickly. We'll, but that we'll is check all in. the time yeah. we have. We'll check in you know? next week and see where yeah. the, uh, the Dodgers and the Red Sox are standing. We'll absolutely do so. Thank you for Arif Hassan joining us. Thank you for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.